8.15, defining the condition. So, in our last message two weeks ago, we ended with Samson crying out to God to give him strength one last time for one purpose, which was to fulfill the purpose of, that God had on, had on his life to deliver Israel from the hand of the oppressor. And in Samson's death, when he pushed the columns of the temple, the roof caved in on him, Samson died, and in his death, the scripture records that more were of the enemy were killed in his death than any battle he had fought up to that point. In his weakest moment, his hair was cut off. Basically, every bow of the Nazarite bow that he was commissioned to live had been broken. He had pretty much done every sin in the book. And the next time you hear someone talk about Trump's character, just give him one Bible story of the man of God, and you can pretty much defame every single biblical character. Jesus said, hey, Peter, I'm going to use you to build the church. Next, in the next pretty much chapter, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So don't talk to me about a man's character. Jesus does what he wants to do. Amen? Amen. Anyways, in his weakest moment, God's strength and glory was made known the most to the judge named Samson. We're all set apart for a purpose. We're all called according to a plan for his glory. And today, as we go into Judges chapter 17, after Samson's judged Israel for 20 years, most of the events written down in Judges 17 to 21 were actually events that are taking place before the book of Judges, in a time between when Joshua died and the first judge rose to deliver the people of God from the oppressor of the enemy, the Philistines, the Amorites, all these different people that God delivered his people from. And no one really knows why necessarily it was written like this, but one thing it does do, it gives us an ability to see the condition of the people of God. Because when you start to see the condition of the people, maybe we can start to see why they so easily strayed away from God's commands, and promises. When we start to see the condition of a people, maybe we can start to understand why they so easily walk away from what he has commanded us to do. When we start to see the conditions of a people, maybe we can see why men and women of God start to align with things that God does not support. When we start to see the condition of a people, maybe we can understand why certain people who claim to be men and women of God align with abortion, align with eight-year-olds choosing gender. Maybe when we start to see the condition, maybe we can understand why people are so quick to say Yahweh but live a life that Yahweh says no way. Right? Y'all like that? I didn't plan that. I heard a teaching on strongholds a few weeks ago from Dutch Sheets, and I wanted to put this out there because it so greatly sets up for this teaching in Judges chapter 17. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, it says this. We are human, but we do not wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons 
not worldly weapons. I find it so funny how people have this idea that God's will will be done, yet God gives us an entire passage of how to fight with weapons. Well, if God's will is just going to be done, what's the point of a fight? We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Destroy. It literally means the demolition of something. That word strong, destroy, demolish strongholds. That word stronghold is not just a, uh, a, a, an idea or a picture or a, an, an example of something. It is a literal word that means uh, from the Greek echo, a fortress or a castle or a prison. He says, church, I have given you weapons that are not like worldly weapons to completely demolish the prisons of human thinking and rationale. Now, I want you to think about castles and prisons and fortresses of this time. They weren't built with necessarily a slab of concrete or some prisons today, sheetrock that people can punch through. They were built... Brick upon brick, stone upon stone, piece by piece. They were strong. They were meant to be a stronghold keeping people inside. And God says, I have given you weapons, not of this world, to demolish these fortresses meant to contain and demolish them brick by brick, stone by stone, piece by piece. He says, church, your weapons are meant to demolish structures that are built that enable the enemy to control people in a very strong way. And the way your weapons work, church, is that when we destroy a fortress of a stronghold, we are breaking down what that stronghold is made of. Y'all follow me? Breaking down in the sense of we are defining what they're made of so that we can better understand what to war with. And here's what strongholds of human reasoning are made of. We've heard terms in the church like a rhema word or a logos. A rhema word is a word simply spoken. A word spoken. It's like what I am giving to you right now is a rhema word. I am speaking something to you. So when you're, when you're at the dinner table talking, you, you are rhema. You are speaking. Okay? So when people are arguing, what are you doing? You are rhema. Okay? And a lot of divide in the church has come through rhema words. You've got what we call contemporary theology. And you've got religious theology, and some contemporary theology is religious theology. They just like to put paint on it and put lights in it. 
right? And what we do is we have all these different ideas of what we think is right, and we speak what we think is right, and we speak our ideas of doctrine, and we say, this is correct, this is correct, this is correct, and as long as we agree that Jesus died on the cross, it's all okay to believe what we want to believe, even though we have scripture that says there is one truth and one way and one life. So here's the issue. People try to argue with Rhema not going after the brick of the stronghold that is causing people to believe in their Rhema word. Is this good? So what is the brick of the stronghold of religion? Because this is what the church has done. We try to go against religion by doing things like this. And I've been guilty of it. I've been guilty of it most of my ministry up until about three years ago. I, I got hired at different churches, and I would do the same thing. we got to get rid of religion. Let's paint the wall black. And everyone hates me by Friday. And what I didn't realize, I was causing more issues than helping anything. Because I was trying to put a new patch of clothing on an old garment, and instead of actually trying to do something new, I was ripping it apart and causing more damage because people weren't learning anything. If anything, I was causing them to come against what I was trying to do by changing the outside but not dealing with the stronghold, not dealing with the bricks. I was painting the bricks instead of tearing the bricks down. The brick is what's called logos. It's how your thoughts are built and how your thoughts are conveyed. It's a system, it's logos, it's where we get the word logic. It's a system of a thought. It's a system of thinking. An ideology, an ideology, a doctrine, an ism. Right? A system of thinking that causes a person to act the way they act. And what happens is people get lost in their ism instead of submitting their ism to the feet of truth called Jesus. And before you know it, they create their own image of Jesus instead of conforming their image to the truth that is Jesus. And what happens in the world is you've got so many different isms and the world teaches pick your own ism. And the church don't know how to fight the ism, so we create doctrines that say we don't have freedom of choice and God predestined people not to be saved because we don't know how to fight the logos of their theology. We have issues where people can't get healed and instead of figuring out why we can't heal them, we come up with a false doctrine and we say, well, God must not want them to be healed. Because you're not brave enough to ask God, why couldn't it be done? Because you don't want to be brave enough to ask what is in my identity that I don't believe. And your first answer is, I must seem to go to church more. No, you're righteous. You're cleansed. You just don't believe it. So we get in this mode of, 
let me pray more, let me intercede more, let me fast more, let me go to church more. Then you try to heal someone, and guess what happens? They don't get healed. Because you're still trying to paint the bricks. And we get the red paint called more prayer time. And the blue paint called more church. And the green paint called more repentance. And God says, can you just understand that I'm the author of it all and I've, I, have, I have made you the very thing that you are trying to change? I have made you the temple I dwell in and you're still trying to earn that right when I've already given you the identity. He says, I have given you weapons to deal with the logic that is behind people's insufficient ability to understand their identity in me. Think about what the disciples did. Jesus, when are you going to show us the Father? And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They still could not get. See, that's what the church does. Jesus is the loving version of the wrathful God. No. Jesus' business was not about Jesus. Jesus came to reveal the true identity of what the church fouled up about the Father. That's why when Jesus came, he said, not to my glory, but for his. When I go to heaven, I'm going to sit down next to his throne. And I'm going to intercede on your behalf. And you go make disciples and go about his business. But the only person you know how to build a relationship is Jesus saved me. And you're too scared to talk to your daddy because you think he's too mean to have a relationship with. And that's our logos thinking. Jesus, 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 Jesus. When everything Jesus said was, Father, Spirit, Father, Spirit, Father, Spirit. I'm the door to Father, Spirit, Father, Spirit, Father, Spirit. And the church is Jesus, 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 Father. Or holy spooky. <laughs> All because of our logical reasonings of what we cannot understand. To which he answers by saying, walk by faith and not by... Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And what we have, look at Savannah and look at our world. We always talk about how everything's in rebellion. But the people that are rising up in power and rising up in thoughts and voting in all the stuff are millennials who are totally ignorant to truth. They don't, they're not rebelling to God because they don't know who the heck he is because we have lifted up a false image of God in the church. And everything we claim God to be, they don't want that God. The, is this all right? God has... We've lifted up this God of you have no choice. And millennials are like, well, why would I want to worship a puppet master? I want to worship a God that allows me to choose him. I want to worship a God that allows me to not choose him because he's that good. It was all in Genesis. There's a tree. Please don't pick it. And they chose to go against that decree. That's why Jesus was called the second Adam. See, Jesus was never the original plan. 
See, this is why no one invites me to preach. <laughs> See, we don't like to think about that because our conformed idea of Jesus was he was always the plan. No, the original plan of Jesus was that he was the spoken word of God. That was how he was always supposed to act as. And then when we foul it up, he says, now I've got to let my word become flesh and let my word dwell among man. And now I've got to sacrifice my word as my son so that people can understand you were always meant to be in the place of my son. And the only way I can get you back in my place is to sacrifice my word in your stead to get you back in the place of of the garden back to the redemptive plan. That was the plan. But your logos won't let you get it. So you make excuses as to why the world's falling apart instead of cleaning it up and putting it back together. Y'all understanding this? Okay, good, because I got like 18 more pages to go. A, per, a person controlled by their logic will not hear your rhema. That's why God told me I got to stop saying a lot of things to people who are not going to receive what I got to say. Because no matter what truth I say, it's not going to get past their logos. So do I go against the stronghold of religion by spitting out a bunch of rhema that won't get past their logos, or do I start using the weapons of our warfare and start praying into, Lord, let the logos start to be shifted. Let the logic of reasonings start to fall down. See, before I can start to speak a rhema to the strongholds of the area, I got to start praying that the logic of reasoning would start to fall or else they're never going to hear the truth that comes out of the rhema word of my mouth. And you got to take that to your families and your workplaces and wherever you go. Because there are certain things that they're never going to get because they are bound up by the logic of their own understanding. That's why no matter what you say, they're never going to change. You ever had those people? Well, I showed them the truth all day and they won't change. Because they're in the stronghold of their logos, of their logic. And they will never get out of it until you start praying the right prayer. Not let them see. No. They will only start to see when you start praying that, that stronghold of logic starts to come down. Lord, let them see as that stronghold. Because you can't see past the wall. That's why, that's why he talks about breaking down strongholds before letting the blind see and the deaf hear. That's the strategy of our warfare. Is this making sense? Okay. So, with that in mind, I hope, I hope this is okay. With that in mind, we're going to look at the condition of these people of their logos thinking. Judges chapter 17 Verses 1 through 2. There was a man named Micah who lived in the hill country of Ephraim. One day he said to his mother, I heard you placed a curse on the person who stole 1,100 pieces of silver from you. 
Any parents in here identify with that? Your child, stole, your child stole something and the first thing you do is curse them? Well, I have the money. I was the one who took it. The Lord bless you for admitting it, the mother replied. You see, back in this time, 10 pieces of shekels of silver was actually a normal wage for an entire year. And this dude stole 1,100 pieces. So this wasn't like a few bucks from the cookie jar. This was a fortune. Micah took a fortune from his mother. And I'm glad that Micah brought it back. But it shows you the condition of the people of God. He did, in fact, take it. The spiritual condition of Israel, even though they claimed they were all about God, their logos thinking was, how can this best benefit me? How can every action benefit my path and get me moving forward? Does that sound like anything like America today? How does this benefit my agenda? I don't, can I, I, yeah. How can this benefit my economic agenda? My, my race's agenda? My cultural agenda? My belief agenda? Christians will not pray into the voting of our country because God's will be done, yet the party that is being voted in by people says get God out and put Muslim in because they have an agenda to eradicate who they don't believe in and the church is okay with that? And they will never see what we have to say because their logos will not accept it. So we can't argue with them. We've got to use our weapons of warfare and start doing what we need to do. Praying against the strategic power of the enemy, which is a false power and a wrong agenda that is not the will of God, that the ignorant people do not see. Because all they see is their logos, their logic. Is this too much? Okay. So the spiritual condition of Israel, they're all about themselves, so you got people stealing fortunes. And every decision they're about to make is all through the lens of their logos. Verse 3. He returned the money to her, and she said, I now dedicate these silver coins to the Lord. Well, thank the Lord, right? But watch. In honor of my son, I will have an image carved and an idol cast. Woman, I thought you just said you dedicated this money to God. And now you're going to have an image carved and an idol cast? So when he returned the money to his mother, she took 200 silver coins gave them to a silversmith who made them into an image and an idol. And these were placed in Micah's house. She dedicates the money to God and then has an image carved and an idol cast out of that image. So I want you to imagine the silversmith. He, he, He draws an image of what he thinks 
her God looks like and then cast an idol out of it. That's exactly what the church has done over the past 1,000 years. We're going to take our idea of what God looks like and we're going to cast our version and call it sound doctrine. God looks like cessationism. And we're going to make denominations of it. Our God looks like Catholicism. And if you don't agree with it, you're going to hell because your image don't look like our image. Right? We're going to make our image of what it looks like to operate in the Spirit. And then we're going to make our image of what it looks like to operate in the Spirit. And if you don't yell enough compared to our yelling, you ain't spiritual. Oh, y'all don't have flags? Y'all ain't free enough. Y'all don't shout loud enough? I ain't against flags. We have flags all the time. Y'all don't shout loud enough in your worship service? Y'all ain't saved, right? We make all these versions of God. And the world makes their versions of God. I worship the universe. So I don't let God heal me. I'm going to get all these different things out of the earth and I'm going to worship the thing, right? Or I'm, stretching is not enough for me, so I'm going to embrace yoga. And I will be bold enough. There is no such thing as Christian yoga. Oh, some of y'all do yoga? Well, let me free you up real quick. You know what yoga is? When you do those, y'all like that? I just pulled something. What you don't realize, it came out of the Middle East as a posture of worship to a Middle Eastern God. And you think you're just stretching and you make it Christian because you play praise music. That's called the enemy prowling around like a lion disguised as light. So if I offended you, you're welcome that I just freed you up from your witchcraft that you are not aware of. Don't worry, you're still saved. Just get out of it. Because that doesn't mess up your righteousness. Okay. I just lost some people. That's okay. That's okay. I just, okay. All right. Where am I at? I don't even know where I'm at. We, make, we carve out our image of what's acceptable. Right? That's exactly what they're doing. I'm going to cast my image, and I'm going to build the altar for it. I'm going to get emails, aren't I? And, and what they were doing was the exact same mistake that was done in Exodus 32 from their forefathers. And in Exodus 20, talks about what they did in Exodus 32. Let's read it. Verse 4. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens. That includes God. Or on the earth 
or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But here's the thing that's overlooked. Both the image of the golden calf, which is referred to in Exodus 20, and the image that Micah's mama just made are both what they thought was Yahweh. And they worshipped that image of God rather than God. And where we are at many times in the condition of our land and the church is we want to conform God to our image and we carve out our concept of God call it theologically sound, and we assume that the God we carve out of our image is the God of the universe instead of daring to believe that Yahweh can reveal himself to us out of pure relationship. And instead of daring to go into relationship and say, God, reveal it, we walk into one man's dream which came into an idea called denomination and we say, well, Wesley must have got it right. Calvin must have got it right. Spurgeon must have got it right. This person must have got it right. And I guarantee you, if any of them were alive, they would be throwing up at what the church has done because they all said, we had an idea that you were supposed to move on from and you created a stronghold called the logic of religion. And you worship that dream we had rather than God. God says, do not conform me to your image and place that image in your house. I want you conformed to my image and you walk in my house. I'm sick and tired of walking in the false image of God that we call truth and it's not truth. Someone asked me the other day, are you in that new NAR movement? And my response was, don't try to label me. I'm in the God movement. You know what movement I'm in? This living thing that's breathing and God speaks to me when I don't even open it. Second Corinthians 3, 15 through 18. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with the veil and they don't understand. Whenever someone turns to the Lord, their veil is taken away for the Lord is the spirit. Wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Israel's condition was revealed and they were so bent toward idolatry that they easily carved out an image of Yahweh though their logo, through their logos instead of changing their logos to conform to his true image. What was their logos? It's all about us. It's all about what we want. It's all about what's easy. And instead of getting into the image of go seek me, they said, Take money and build us an image of God so we can put him right here in our house and make it easy so we don't have to be stretched, so we don't have to get outside of our comfort, so we don't have to drive more than 15 minutes to get to church, so we don't have to do more than, than, than get in our little comfort zone. We ain't got to sing loud. We ain't got to do much. Uh, you know, let, let's make God work for COVID instead of COVID working for God. 
Go to lay hands on the sick. Put hands on the leper unless they got COVID distant six feet. Y'all want to get real about what the church is? Church people will go eat in a restaurant with 40 people without masks, but they won't come gather together with 40 people singing without them. That's the real deal. That is the real deal. And if I said that to church people, they would call me, but you just don't honor safety. You don't honor true safety. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. He is that great. And I'm dumb enough to believe it. You've got to define your condition based off of his condition, not the other way around. Verse 5, Micah sets up a shrine for the idol, and he made a sacred ephod and some household idols. We about to get real. And then he installed one of his sons as his personal priest. I'm going to read that again. Sorry, Leah. Micah set up a shrine for the idol. Then he makes some sacred ephod and some household idols. Then he installed one of his sons as his personal priest. Micah sets up a whole religious system of worship for the image of Yahweh that was not Yahweh. A man-made, man-centered religion. Think about it. The first thing he does is he says he sets up a shrine. What was the shrine? It was the idea of a temple or a building. What does the church do today? In order to gather, the first thing we got to do is set up a shrine. Then he sets up the beautiful ephod, the priestly garment. You ever been to those religious systems? Make sure you put on your Sunday best. You don't need to come as you are because God needs more. And if you can't afford it, you don't need to come into the house of God until you can, right? Or, you know, the, the priest needs to dress a certain way so he can represent God well. When some of the people on the street that can't get into the house represent him better than the priest does, right? Then, then, then look what he does. He says, house idols. The word is teraphim. You know what a teraphim is? It's attractive things meant to bring in money. It's called church marketing. Right? Y'all seen the church stuff, right? If you give $10, God will bless you tenfold. Right? If you tithe, God will increase your your wealth. Right? That's why Kathy made sure when she read that scripture, she said this is not limited to one type of blessing. Your tithe lifts a curse. Maybe the reason you're not increasing in the depth of your relationships is because there's a curse on your ground of being able to make relationships. The Bible says the tithe lifts a curse off of the ground you walk on. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says the tithe gives you blessing on your money. It says your tithe lifts a curse off the ground. What that means is when you put a seed into your ground, the seed can't produce because your ground cannot, it's not good soil for the producing of the seed. So if you're having troubles in your marriage, your marriage can't produce because you keep putting seed into a ground that can't produce. You're welcome. 
And then he sets up a personal priest. He sets up someone to serve him and please him. That's the religious structure of the church. We're going to pick our pastor and we're going to make sure that he does whatever is going to stroke our back and make us feel good and it's going to make us feel like super Christians and praise God he never convicts us and he may never, he's, he's okay that we don't believe this way and he's okay that we never have to change and he's okay that we never get convicted and he just makes us feel all giddy inside. And, and Y'all know I'm breaking it down. Your joy should not come from your pastor. Your joy should come from the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Okay. That's why I'll leave offended every time I preach. <laughs> he built up everything to meet the needs of a man. And it's the same pattern we get caught up in. Because we don't like to worship the true image of Yahweh, the true image of God. We we need to become a people that are daring to uncover who he really is. And I'm just going to tell you, when we dare to look at that and uncover it, I'm just going to tell you, you better be dare to be called a lunatic. Because the lunatics who believe Jesus, their ministry ended, ended in things like upside-down crucifixions and tarring and feathering. And if I may be so bold, the religious systems of, the, of today that don't get any warfare and only growth, maybe we should start weighing that weight of glory. Because that don't exactly measure up with what I'm seeing the Bible says. If all you do is see increase without warfare, something don't measure up with that. While we're in, why were they in? Is this okay? Why were they in this condition? Verse 6. In those days, Israel had no king. The people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Israel rejected God as their leader, so they made decisions based off of what was good for them. You know what their condition was? Self-serving. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a path that seems before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Stop making decisions that seem right to you. Michael is making decisions that seem right to him. Yeah, let me get this fortune. His mama made decisions that seemed right to her. Thank you so much, son, for bringing this fortune back to me. I'm going to take 200 pieces of silver and I'm going to carve an image of God, even though we were told not to do that, but it seems right. And the condition of your logos carved out, is the condition of your logos carved out to what seems right to you? Or is it surrendered to sound teaching of what he has laid out of what is right? I'm just going to go ahead and tell you one thing that God has really been dealing with me about as we move forward and what's coming in the next revival and restoration of this world. A lot of our logic and reasoning of what we know in truth to be has got to be surrendered because it's all been flawed. We 
We've got to walk into a new day of saying, God, what is you? Second Timothy 4, 3 through 4, a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject truth and chase after myths. The condition, God had redeemed us to clean up and heal up that condition. But no one's wanting to go after it because it's too hard. It's too controversial. The church is called to love. We're called to do everything in love. Jesus flipping tables was in love. He loved them too much for them to stay in their condition of false logos. I love this country and, th and everyone in the world too much to let them stay in their logos of it's okay to vote for killing babies. And if I'm going to offend you, I'm sorry, but that is called love. The Holy Spirit loves you too much not to convict you with offense. So, yeah, I'll conform to that image. Verse 7. One day a young Levite who had been living in Bethlehem and Judah arrived in that area. He had left Bethlehem in search of another place to live. As he traveled, he came to the hill country of Ephraim. He happened to stop at Micah's house as he was traveling through. Where are you from, Micah asked him. He replied, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem and Judah. I've been looking for a place to live. Stay here with me, Micah said. You can be a father and a priest to me. I'll give you ten pieces of silver a year. Remember the wages? Plus a change of clothes and your food. The Levite agreed to this, and the young man became like, like, became like, became like one of Micah's sons. The Levite had no business of traveling in search of other places to live in when God placed him in a place to serve in the first place called Bethlehem. Don't go searching for other places of opportunity when you have not proven or properly given yourself to the current placement that God's placed you in. And that's the issue with prodigals today. They move too soon. The current condition doesn't satisfy what you want, so you escape and you go way too quick because it's not working out for your benefit. It's not promoting you quick enough. And everyone is the condition of the land. How does this benefit me? When you don't understand that plowing through fathering benefits you. And the issue with that is fathers don't know how to father anymore. Mothers don't know how to mother. Mothers turn away and says, grow up. Fathers turn away and say, grow up. Fathers, you're called to show them how. Empower them how. Teach them how. This, this Levite had no business going searching. And a lot of people, including people in the church, everyone's going searching because leadership has failed people. What happens in the church? Someone messes up, and instead of embracing them and fathering them and showing them why, they say, oh, you sin, you're not fit, get the hell out. Did the pastor just say that? Yeah, I'm good. No one's going to fire me, I'm good. I mean, maybe, I don't know. We throw them away. We say, you're not fit for God. Pe people do stuff and 
get caught doing stuff and, oh, well, they're not right and they can't do this and no one knows how to do this anymore. Preachers aren't confident in their role. So when they see people in the church start to do better, the preacher starts to do this. Instead of taking joy in the fact that your job as a leader in the church is to grow the people to do better things than you could have ever dreamed of. That's exactly what Jesus says. Think of what Jesus said. I'm going to go so you can do more than I ever could have. It's going to get better with me gone. So why hasn't it? Thank you. Are y'all hearing me? Mike, and Micah, he's looking for a priest because he wants to legitimize his shrine. So he hires from the outside to make his organization look legitimate. And Levite, the Levite gives up his call on his life to become a hireling to a false call. So goes the condition of the church. We don't get confident in our role to raise up from within and take the time. If I can just get real, it would be really easy for me to hire a great worship leader from outside and take this worship team to step 10. Or I can take an extra 10 years to raise up what I've got. But the church don't like that. Because they want to legitimize the shrine of the church to the public. And they want to get the best team right now. And let's get the best talent. And God says, you've got the best talent, but it's going to take 10 years for it to unfold. So father them, idiot. Right? That's what Micah's doing. Oh, you a priest? Okay. And he starts to legitimize the shrine. I don't know about you, but I don't want Relentless to be known as a place of hirelings. I, I, I see so much in this house. I don't want to I, I go fine. I, I want them to be raised up. I want them to be led here. I want to make sure that whoever come alive in this house, it's a God thing and not a Kyle thing trying to legitimize what's going I want it to be a Holy Spirit-driven movement thing. Am I bringing some light to the logos of our current condition? And, it's, it's, and the issue with what's happened, it says the Levite became like a son. An illegitimate son. And what happens when you have <clears throat> illegitimate sons, when you don't serve their purpose, they'll turn on you real quick. Verse 17. 12. So Micah installed the Levite as his personal priest. He lived in Micah's house. I know the Lord will bless me now. You see what he's doing? He's still trying to earn blessing by creating a false idol out of his image of God and getting other people to make it legitimate. God's going to bless me now. I got a Levite serving as my priest. 
He was trying to earn a blessing through a selfish consecration. He was not consecrating and setting apart the Levite because God ordained it. He was doing it hoping that God would bless him. He was not acting under God's authority. He was building his own thing hoping that getting the right people would validate his shrine. And that's what we do. Well, as long as I'm sincere, God will confirm me. Well, you can be sincerely doing the wrong thing. Hebrews 10.22, let us go right into the presence of God with what? Sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. It's not go do actions sincerely. It's go into his presence sincerely so that you will know what actions to do. But what we do is we decide on this sincere action and never put it before the posture of him because we never dive into his presence sincerely. And that's scary because if you go before God sincerely, he may give you something to do that does not serve your need and your promotion. And when God says something like, when I, when I started the church, it was, I have such a sincere heart I want to build a mega church in Savannah. I want to get bigger than Savannah Christian. I want to do it big. I want thousands of people. And I, just being real, I never, I knew God gave me a vision, but not once did I actually go before him and say, what do you want? God gave me the vision, and I said, thanks, God. Two years, three years later, I finally said, all right, God, this ain't working. Because this mega church is still under 40 people, and we in the YMCA. <laughs> Something ain't working. I did everything the Elevation Way, and the Elevation Way ain't working. Do I need to change it to orange because green ain't right? What's going on, God? And God said, you weren't sincere when you came to me. Because if you were, I would have told you I wanted you to do it very slow and very different. And very small. And people are going to call you a false teacher. You ready? The sincere may cause a way that's not, it may not seem right to you, but it, it's right to him. I hope some things are stirring in your spirit to take some action today. Okay, no response. I guess not. All right. <laughs> Next chapter, verse 1. I'm doing good. I'm only eight minutes over. So now in those days, Israel had no king, and the tribe of Dan was trying to find a place where they could settle in. For they had not yet moved into the land assigned to them, where the land was divided among the tribes of Israel. So the men of Dan chose from their clan five capable warriors from the towns of Zorah and Ashtal to scout out the land for them to settle in. When these warriors arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, they came to Micah's house, spent the night there. So you got these tribes looking for a place to settle, looking for a home. And when they get to Ephraim, they end up at Micah's house. Now when I saw they were looking for a home, they didn't want to settle by peaceful means. The reason they didn't move into the land assigned to them 
because it was too hard to conquer. And instead of leaning into God, saying, God, how do you want us to conquer this land? They went looking for an easier land to take hold of. You ever notice that all the battles that God is called to fight in the Bible is usually too hard without him? Let's define the condition of the church for a moment. The strongholds of our area are really tough. And no one gathers to fight it. But everyone will respond at the heartbeat to go on a mission trip. Because it's a lot easier to pack up to go to Guatemala for two weeks. And I'm not picking on it. We support Guatemala, so don't hear me wrong. There's nothing wrong with going on a mission trip. But here's the issue. Everyone responds to going on a mission trip. But if I say, let's go downtown on a Friday night to pray against the stronghold of Savannah, it's too cold. And three people show up. Let's go have worship public in the square. And you say you've got plans, but what you really say is, I don't want to get in a fight in your mind. I don't want to get, I don't want people to yell. I don't want this. I don't want that. No one wants to go tackle that stuff. I hear the church say, unity, 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 let's get together. Well, I don't know. We, I, got, I got plans. It's really easy to go into another area, but when we're talking about breaking down the, the fortress of the local, that junk gets tough. And then, if I can get so bold to say it in here, because I said I wasn't going to post on Facebook, I didn't say I wasn't going to preach it. When we see, we see pastors standing with a Raphael Warnock, and then no pastors speak up against it, because no one wants to deal with it. No one's wanting to deal with the issue at hand. Because it's real easy to fight distant battles, but no one wants to talk about the local stuff. This tribe of Dan, they should have said, God, we've seen you do it before. You took us out of Egypt. You split the sea. You've done it before. What you want this time? They said, let's go look for something easier to conquer. Even we're guilty of it in our, in our local bodies. And I'm not speaking against this, so just hear me out. Don't, don't get offended too quick. Let's go feed the homeless, right? That's easy. But, but if we start talking about things like, can I find five people to find five homeless people and father them? Chirp, chirp. Well, they just stuck in their ways. No, you don't want to break the stronghold down brick by brick to get through their logos. You just want a new patch, put a new patch on it and feed them or put them in a center. You don't want to father them through their logic.
right? And not everyone's called to that. I get that. But that's the issues of why the church is not changing our culture, right? The church is so quick to speak against homosexuality, but church people don't want to father a homosexual because it, you, don't, you want to see fruit produced for them to get straight instead of walking with them 15 years through their issue. If someone that dealt with LGBTQ, VXYD, C4, XYT, I don't know what I just said. If they let me father them, I don't care if it took me 40 years to get them a breakthrough. I'd walk with them through it. Because their issue does not affect their righteousness if they believe in Jesus. Just like your issue don't. And if you don't agree with that, talk to me after service and I'll tell you why you're wrong. I'll give you scripture about it. I don't know where I'm at. Verse 3. <clears throat> well, at Micah's house, they recognized the young Levite's accent, so they went over and asked him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? Why are you here? He told them about his agreement with Micah and they, they, that he had been hired as Micah's personal priest. Then they said, ask God whether or not our journey will be successful. Go in peace, the priest replied. For the Lord is watching over your journey. <clears throat> Let me just break that down for you. Spiritually confused people on a sinful mission to take land they were not called to take as a Levite walking out of his call about the will of God for their sinful mission and the sinful Levite confirms their sinful mission. Because when you build everything on the condition of what pleases you, you become a yes people and too scared of when God says no. The condition of the church. Because you're no longer wanting to find the path, you're wanting to confirm your road you found the image of God that you formed. Well, God's okay with this. Well, that's your image. That's not the image. Are y'all hearing me this morning? Verse 7, so the five men went to the town of Laish. When they noticed the people living carefree lives like the city nights, they were peaceful and secure. The people were also wealthy because their land was fertile. They lived a great distance from Sidon and had no allies nearby. When the men returned to Zor and Ashtow, their relatives asked them, what would you find? They replied, come on, let's attack them. They said, this is easy. The land's fertile. This is good. they they wealthy. they producing. Because they the enemy ain't going to touch you when you ain't worse than Yahweh. See, we don't like to talk about that side of it. Right? Don't hesitate. Go take possession of it. When you get there, you'll find the people living carefree lives. God has given us a spacious and fertile land lacking in nothing. You see, the Sidonites were the very people that God told the Israelites to drive out. And the tribe of Dan sees this. They see a people free from struggle, free from conflict, free from rulers, free from conscience, free from ties, free from concerns. And they're like, let's get it. 
Verse 11, so 600 men from the tribe of Dan, they armed with weapons of war, set out from Zor and Ashtal. They camped at a place west of Kiriath-Jerim in Judah, which is called Mahanim-Dan to this day. I don't, I'm doing pretty okay on the pronunciations. Then they went on from there into the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Again, they so quickly got 600 soldiers to fight a distant battle, but they couldn't find one soldier to fight their local battle. Because foreign strongholds are easier to deal with than the ones that surround us. So they get the 600 men. This is easy. Let's do this. Verse 14. The five men who had scattered out the land around Laash explained to the others, these buildings contain a sacred ephod. Remember, they're in, Micah, they're in Micah's house. Micah builds this false religion, right? This system, this easy, re replicable thing that we can just take and reproduce. These buildings contain an ephod and some idols, a carved image, a cast idol. What do you think we should do? So the five men turned off the road, went to Michael's house. When the young Levite lived and greeted him kindly, the 600 men, armed warriors from the tribe of Dan, stood at the entrance of the gate. The five scouts entered the shrine, removed the image, the ephod, the idols, the cast idols. They took everything. They took the bylaws. They took the branding. They took the shrine. They took it all. Are y'all seeing this? <laughs> Meanwhile, the priest was standing at the gate with the 600 warriors. The illegitimate son. When the priest saw the men carrying the sacred, eat, sacred objects out of Micah's house, he said, what are you doing? Be quiet. Come with us. Be a father and priest to us all. Isn't it better to be a priest for an entire tribe and clan of Israel than for the household of just one man? You know what they just said? Our stage is bigger. We'll pay you more. Our church is larger. The young priest was quite happy with to go with them. So he took along the ephod, the household idols, and the carved image. They turned and started the way again, placing the children, livestock, and possessions in front of them. When the stage was bigger, he left Micah real quick because he wasn't a true son. He was a hireling wanting what was best for him. Their condition was, let's use the stuff man built to win our focus. And that condition's... And that's the conditions. What can we get from others and make it work for our benefit? And what has the church done? Not God, what do you want for this house? It's what can we so easily replicate and make it work for an easily producible fruit. And that's why you have so many houses and no transformation of the city. Verse 22. What's that? That's why you have so many houses and no transformation in the city. When the people from the tribe of Dan, verse 22, were quite a distance from Micah's house, the people who lived near Micah came chasing after them. They were shouting as they called up with them. The men of Dan turned around and said to Micah, what's the matter? Why have you called these men together and chased after us like this? What do you mean? What's the matter? Micah replied. You've taken away all the gods I have and my priests. I have nothing left. You see what Micah just admitted? 
all the gods I made. Well, Micah, if your God was so true, shouldn't he take care of himself? And the condition of the people, you can worship a God of your own making or the true God who made us. The gods we make will always be less than, and you'll always be trying to sustain your image rather than him sustaining you. Church, we have got to stop conforming him and start being conformed to him. That day has got to cease. Every gift is still, still available. That's not up for discussion or opinion. If you think that the gifts are not for today, you are in a logos that is wrong. You need to be freed from that. If you think that the Bible is all about Jesus, that logos is wrong. Jesus is the door that opened the way for everything and access to his Father's mission for us. The original purpose for his people to walk the earth in Jesus' name. If you think that God is limited to page written by man, you are limited to a logos thinking that is this, this is not the image of God. The church was built without this. God moved without this. This is great. This is beautiful. This is truth. Align with it. But don't be conformed to the image where you make this an idol. Because it can be done. It's the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Not the Father, Spirit, and the Bible written by man. Don't get it wrong. And know where I'm coming from because if you listen to me preach today, I use a lot of it. We've conformed everything to our image of him. We've got to get out of that. Verse 25, the men of Dan said, watch what you say. There's some short-tempered men here. We might get angry and kill you and your family. So the men of Dan continued their way. When Micah saw there were, there were too many of them for him to attack, he turned around and went home. Look at their condition, lawlessness. We'll take your image of God, but we're going to do whatever we want. That's what the church does. If you don't get your life right, you can get out. Lawlessness. No fathering, nothing. You don't like it our way, we're going to call you false. Lawlessness. You don't do what we want, you wrong. Lawlessness. And there's no more iron sharpening iron. There's no more call to let's come together and seek the truth and not our own definitions of it. There's no more spirit lead us into your presence. It's environment lead us into his presence. And Micah said, you know what, that lawlessness is too strong for me. He's revealing more and more that his God is not that great because he's worshiping his own image of God. You want to know why I'm so bold with this whole COVID thing? Look at the fruit of what's going on. We opened up in June. 
have not had one case of COVID. And we're getting to the point where we got to talk about what we're going to do if it keeps filling up. And just a spoiler alert, just some of the praises that God's doing, in the biggest financial hurting year of this church, we've almost doubled the amount that's been brought in this year. And you want to know how we did it? Let me tell you how. I don't know. I can't write a book about it. You know, I can. It's a one-sentence book. God did it. It's really easy. Depend on him. He is stronger. He is greater. He is better. He is bigger. I actually believe that a disease cannot touch the hedge of protection that he's put around me. I actually believe that. I actually believe that when we get together for prayer on Sundays and Saturdays and when we say COVID can't live here, I actually believe that. What's wrong with that? Why have we settled for anything less? Because we form God in the image of he has to submit to our governing rules. No, we're going to submit to his. And... and, Maybe that's wrong, and if it is, I'm sure God will deal with me on it, but it's, I'm pretty sure it's not. He's so good. The enemy's got nothing on him. He didn't plan for a, a plague to sweep this land and hurt people. That's Old Testament before grace bought righteousness. We are in right standing. We have one call. That's all. <laughs> to go change it. To go redeem it. To define the condition of the logos of this area, pray into it, break it down, and restore it. What's wrong with the church? Because too many try to define their condition instead of trying to conforming to true relationship. So in verse 27, I'm, I'm closing. I hope this has been okay. When Micah's idols and his, then when Michael, with, with Micah's idols and his priests, the men of Dan came to the town of Laish, when, whose peace, people were peaceful and secure. They attacked with swords, burned the town to the ground. There was no one to rescue the people. It's funny, if people worshiping Satan had no rescuer. I'm going to tell you, that's what's going to happen in this land. People are going to go under, and they're not going to who, know who to call on. And there's only going to be a few houses left who actually know the power of God. So they can call us crazy now, but there's going to be a time where they're going to say, Hey, I know I, we said that thing about y'all as lunatics, but we, we need your loony. I'm okay with that. So what works for y'all? His name is Yahweh. And he's not who you thought it was. And he doesn't look like you thought it. He did. <clears throat> I 
There was no one to rescue the people. They lived a great distance from, from Sidon and had no allies nearby. This happened in the valley near Beth Rehob. Then the people of the tribe of Dan rebuilt the town and they lived there. They renamed the town Dan after their ancestor Israel's son, but it had originally been called Laash. The tribe of Dan on an ungodly mission confirmed by an out-of-will priest called a hireling won a battle. Why? The land they conquered did not have a deliverer. It's really easy to win territory when God didn't call you to do it and God's not in it. Because the fact of the matter is, Dan got in there, but they still weren't worshiping God. Satan still had the glory. So Satan didn't intervene. And a lot of times, the church thinks we're winning things, but we're not gaining any ground because we're still tickling ears with a hyper-grace message. And we think we're winning people to God because we got people to, we, stro we stroke their emotions of their heart and got them to say a salvation prayer, but there was no change in their life. And I, I really believe the enemy has just looked at the church and is doing this. I, I really believe it. And then when you got a movement sweeping the nation, a boldness, the, the church that the enemy's smiling at is going, heretical, false, not of God. That's the condition we're living in. Verse 30, this is what the tribe of Dan did. They set up a carved image. They appointed Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Moses, as their priest. The family continued as priest for the tribe of Dan to the exile. So Micah's carved image was worshipped by the tribe of Dan as long as the tabernacle God remained at Shiloh. The people of Dan remained in idol worship, thinking they were justified by God. Now I'm going to close with this scripture, because this is in reference to what I just said. Because we're going to leave here with an assignment today. I'm going to give you all an assignment. Is that okay? Because you are the church. You are the ecclesia. And you don't need to leave here just feeling convicted or, or good. You need to leave with an assignment. Matthew 6, 22 through 23. I read this Wednesday night, but you all can get it now. Your eyes like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eyes healthy, your whole body is filled with light. That word healthy is actually the word that means Singular. So when your eye is singular focused, don't think that your body, your spiritual condition is healthy when your eye is given to everything but the singular focus of God. You've got to focus on him and let him decide what every desire flows from. When your eye is unhealthy, focus in every direction. You know, what can make me feel good? Well, if it was singular focus, you know the answer. God. When your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. Now, here's the part I want to point out. If the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Some people think they're light. What is light and darkness? Light is knowledge. Darkness is ignorance. Some people think that the knowledge they have is not knowledge. It's a darkness that is a great darkness. What is that light? What is that darkness? 
It's their logos. They're wrapped up in a stronghold of logic that they think is justified light, just like the tribe of Dan. They thought they were on a godly assignment because it was confirmed by a false priest who was at a false shrine that they all thought was an image of Yahweh. This is your assignment. This week, pray that false logos of false images of God would break down and that people would start to see who he really is. Not what they have been taught to believe, but who the true God really is. And that human reasoning start to fall and that true relationship would start to initiate. And that even those in Savannah that have aligned incorrectly would have a heart change and that alignments would shift. And that we would start to redeem the kingless kingdoms of this area and this land. That is defining the condition. God is bigger, he is stronger, and he is great. And nothing and no one's ever going to change my mind. Are you with me? Can we say amen to that? Let's stand. Let's give God praise today.